This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff, and I am your host, Karina Pereira. Hello everyone! On this episode I chat with Caroline Korsmeyer about her novel Charlotte's Story, a Pride and Prejudice retelling, and about her experience writing both fiction and non-fiction. Have a listen. Caroline, welcome to uh, Story of Sorts. Thank you. Good to be here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, my my main professional identity for much of my life has been as an academic philosopher. I taught for years at a university in Western New York, the University of Buffalo, with a focus on aesthetics, emotions, and more recently on the senses, particularly the five external senses. I'm no longer teaching, and I'm branching out into writing fiction, which is why we're talking today. <laughs> and I would like to know about your novel. Do you want to introduce the title to us and talk a little bit about it? Well, the novel is called Charlotte's Story, and the Charlotte in the title is familiar to readers of Jane Austen because she is a character from Pride and Prejudice who is kind of a subdued counterpart to the main heroine of that novel, Elizabeth Bennet. It's Elizabeth who has the main storyline and certainly has the romantic storyline, which includes, as many readers know, her initial dislike of the man who will become her husband, Darcy, her eventual respect and love, a potential disaster that would separate the two, and finally, a marriage. It is, for Elizabeth, the quintessential romantic plotline. In contrast, Charlotte, who has a much smaller role, is not in an advantageous position. She is neither pretty nor wealthy, but like most young women of the time, she desires a home and a family. And when the Reverend William Collins turns his attention to her, having first been rejected by Elizabeth, she quickly accepts despite the lack of a rom romantic appeal. And <clears throat> I was interested in this, in this character because I thought she presented a really um, thought-provoking contrast between realism and romance in mm -hmm. terms of the way a fictional narrative would develop. Uh, and so I was interested to imagine what kind of a life she would lead after marrying William Collins. And the novel explores that possibility from a first-person point of view. I put the story in Charlotte's own voice, or what I imagine to be Charlotte's own voice. And it's also, I think it's a character that um, isn't very explored and I don't mean just in in Pride and Prejudice but in general usually when people write retellings or books based on it's usually based on the main characters. Well I found after I wrote this novel that there have been a couple of attempts to talk about Charlotte but the ones that I've read have tried to give her a romantic plot line <laughs> and I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, I like her as she is making a life that has to involve compromise, but she has a lot of wit and courage. And um, that was what I developed. I've never read Jane Austen. And every time I tell this to someone, people kind of get a bit shocked because I really like reading. But I did see the 2005 adaptation, the movie. And yeah, what I get from Charlotte is that she, as you said, she just makes the best of what she has. And unfortunately, 
at the time it wasn't like she didn't have the looks she didn't have the wealth but she is basically like okay maybe I won't have this whole romantic setting in my life but I'm still gonna gonna make the best of it that's right and she also is worried because she's already all of 27 years old yeah and reaching the shelf in terms of <laughs> her marriage prospects, or at least that's the story. And um, she's worried about that as well. The time is running out. But she also seems to make a really good life for herself. I mean, in that sense, in the sense that maybe she, you know, like nobody likes her husband in, in that story, in that particular movie. But she seems to create a life of her own uh, in those conditions. Yes, yes. Perhaps I should say that one of the things that I that I was interested in doing also was to explore the character of her husband a little bit, because he's not likable, but I tried to make him a little bit sympathetic <laughs> and to make him be a person who was capable of growing, though he remains comic, I hope, because <laughs> it is there's a comic undertone to both Pride and Prejudice and Charlotte's story which I think is important for understanding Jane Austen in general, and sometimes life. <laughs> what has drawn you to Jane Austen, though? Like, because it's your first fiction novel. Why Jane Austen? Why Jane Austen? I'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's actually my first published fiction novel. There are others sitting on the computer waiting for a home. Ah. But, <laughs> um, but, but you ask what draws me to Jane Austen. I, I think it's what makes her still quite a popular writer for many people. I'm, I'm interested in the fact that she remains immensely popular. She's very, very widely read and across generations. So apparently, despite the vast difference in time and social mores that we live with now, she is still speaking to readers as much as she did in her own time. Now, why is this? One speculation is that she is a lightly comic writer and is very appealing and witty. I don't mean to say that serious things don't occur and that she doesn't take her characters seriously, but she treats them with a kind of comic distance that makes us smile as well as, as, well as being very sympathetic to them. The characters are very vivid, very individual. It's easy to laugh at some of them. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think she's a little mean that's not something that many people would grant with Jane Austen, but I think she's got a mean streak, which is one of the things that makes her interesting and makes her characters comic. It's not sadistic, but she certainly has a lot of distance from some of her characters. She brings out their flaws, which is quite interesting. We all have flaws. And when we read about this sort of thing in fiction, sometimes it makes characters interesting and endearing, as well as kind of irritating. But it's intriguing to try to get behind those characters, I think. And it's it's very curious as well, like just the whole way that she starts Pride and Prejudice is such a sarcastic way to start a story because it's true. Uh, well, it's ironic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. And and she she begins several of her stories with that kind of a tone. It does set the tone. Yeah. And it makes you curious to read further. Yeah, but it also makes you laugh because, yeah, that's true. You're absolutely right, like in that sense. And it's so curious also to see. Um, I've read other adaptations of uh, Jane Austen, um, Pride and Prejudice, and I find always amazing how people manage to pick up, uh, and including yours, to pick up that sentence, the first sentence, and use it in any other context and to find something that 
works so well with the context of the of what is about to happen in that particular book. That's interesting, and I think you've pointed out something else about her popularity, and that is that her ideas are easily adaptable to yeah. contemporary circumstances. Actually, there are a number of Jane Austen spin-offs, including movies, that are set in our own times. I wanted to keep it in her time, the early 19th century, but it's interesting to see how many are adapted for 21st century sensibilities also. Yeah, and they still work. So I would like to know also a little bit about your writing career. How did it start? My general writing career? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, as I mentioned at the beginning, most of my writing is philosophy, books and articles in philosophy. I began in aesthetics and philosophy of art and branched out to an interest in literal taste, not aesthetic taste, but food and that kind of taste, which got me interested in the senses, in gustatory taste, and actually from there to disgust, because I got quite interested in not only things that taste good, but things that don't taste so good, mm -hmm. and how they figure in our um, dietary habits and in our customs. My recent work is on another sense. It's on the sense of touch and its role in our apprehension of old things. My, my most recent book is called Things in Touch with the Past. And I meant that literally because I was interested and interested in the phenomenon of being close to things, close enough to touch them, to make you feel as though you're in the presence, in their presence and bringing the past into, into your own times. Now, those subjects discussed food, touch, they aren't particularly standard philosophical topics. Therefore, a lot of my published work occupies a kind of margin with several other disciplines, but also with non-academic concerns, which might mean that my progress to writing fiction or things that are, that are less noticeably philosophical was smoother than it might have been. I like to think so anyway. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was going to ask about that because most of your books are philosophical or social. And yeah, you wrote about taste, disgust, even gender and aesthetics. And Charlotte's story, because it's fiction, kind of standouts amongst them because it's like it's the one that is different. And why did you decide to branch out and try fiction? I've always been interested in different modes of writing to convey ideas. For years, I taught a course on philosophy and literature. And I would use novels, stories, sometimes poems. Those were really tricky. And a long novel is tricky if you're trying to teach a, a course because it takes a long time to read. Um, and if you want to do more than one. But I was intrigued to discover that at fiction and imaginative literature in general, that actually was writing and conveying philosophical ideas. So that, that's one thing <laughs> that uh, I, Charlotte doesn't try to convey much philosophy, but, I, but I've always been interested in reading um, fiction to when it also is riding upon a sort of set of theories, yep. uh, not as such, but implicitly in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and actually I've always written fiction, as I mentioned before, most of my efforts have not seen the light of day. Uh, but it's a kind of creativity that, that I've always really loved doing ever since I was quite young. Mm -hmm. So this is 
returning to an early love, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask like how you find time alongside your day job to write a novel. Is it because you need it because it was always there and it's kind of like a break from your regular day job to do it? Well, that's a nice way to put it. I think in some ways that's correct. But also I'm, I'm no longer in the classroom. I do have mm -hmm. a lot of professional obligations, you know, conferences insofar as one goes to conferences during a pandemic, essays that are due and so forth. And I balance that writing with fiction writing. These days, rather than shoving aside the philosophical obligations in order to make time for fiction, I have to do the opposite because <laughs> I get really engaged with the fiction writing and have to set it aside in order to meet my other obligations, <laughs> um, which certainly interests me. I don't mean to say they're merely work, but there's a little bit of time competition there. I have to say that for me, like, with many people, the really awful shutdowns during the pandemic also left me with time at home. Um, my children are grown up, so I don't have to deal with homeschooling or anything like that that has been such difficulty. So I spent a lot of time in front of my computer and that's, that's given me some time also. Actually, I completed another novel in that time. So wow. that's, that's one of the few good things for me or someone like me about the pandemic which has otherwise been pretty awful yeah of course but it, it's also like it's something that suddenly you had more time in your hands and you decided well i'm just going to do this because it's fun and i have time to do it and why not pursue uh, also publishing it yes 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 that's that's very interesting pleasant and useful diversion <laughs> yeah from all from everything that's happening around as well <laughs> Right, right. And now, um, so you wish to continue writing fiction, I assume? Yes, I do. Certainly. Great. That's great to hear. <laughs> and fiction or non-fiction, do you have a favorite medium? Or you can't really decide which one? If you had you to kind of like choose one to continue writing, which luckily you don't have to. But uh, if you had to choose one medium. Uh, By medium, do you mean fiction or non-fiction? Yes. Oh, I see. I like them all. <laughs> um, I never considered philosophy non-fiction, but I guess it is. It certainly isn't. Well, sometimes it's also fiction, but it's, well, it's its own genre of writing, I think. Because, yeah, I, I guess, I guess, like, uh, mostly I think philosophy is, of course, under the non-fiction because it's more thoughts. But I also, I mean, it is certainly not fact all the time, obviously. Well, it's, it's not in the yeah. genre of fiction. I like them both. I really like them both. I, I am fortunate because I really enjoy the process of writing and enjoy putting an idea or a character or a scene or an argument, if it's philosophy, in the best prose I can. I think that language is an enormous gift and the leisure to pursue it, play with it, explore it, is a great privilege and so I really enjoy both mm -hmm. and hope to continue both. Yes <laughs> we always have this uh, this thing about asking people oh which one would you would you rather like which one would you be able to live with but obviously um, this is is ideal in our world that a lot of things you don't have to choose you can just continue to do both. <laughs> 
Well, with, certainly with reading and writing, I hope you don't have to choose. Yes, for sure. <laughs> One can never do everything, but it, it's nice to be able to read everything. Yeah, and, and to not have yeah, not to have to choose in that. Like you can continue to read and write and just do your thing. <laughs> what are you working on at the moment? Because you said you have a uh, you have more fiction in your hands. Uh, yes, um, I'm. I hope nearly completed with a historical novel. Mm -hmm. In a way, Charlotte's story is also historical because it takes place a long time ago. But the one that I'm, I'm just finishing now is a dual timeline historical novel that I have a tentative title. It may not remain. It's called Camera Obscura. Mm -hmm. And the contemporary timeline is um, sort of a mystery. It involves the discovery of a skeleton during some infrastructure replacement. And the earlier timeline involves uh, the progress of three women, two cousins and their aunt, across New York State in 1851. And they get entangled with a, I guess you would say, a, a dangerous spiritualist. Uh, spiritualism was a major movement in the mid-19th century in, in New York State. It's quite interesting, quite interesting also with its connection to um, the early feminist movements. And so these women become involved with him and their progress to the state. And I developed a, a plot about that. Well, the, so other, the other thing I'm working on right now is actually a novel I started 15 years ago. And oh, wow. it got a little out of control. So I've returned to it, <laughs> trying to whip it into shape. Why did you stop? What made you stop with it? I beg your pardon? What made you like put it in on hold and now oh, it was much picking too it long. up again? Much too oh. long. It was double the size that was useful. Okay. And I had some critiques of it that were sensible, so I thought I'd go back and try and fix it. So it's more like an it is written, but it needs addition. It's overwritten and okay. pruned <laughs> and edited, yes. Very well. So it's already that's why because um I always found curious um when writers say, oh, okay, I started this book like 10 years ago and then let it go. And then I picked it up again. And and when I was younger, I didn't understand it. Like, why would you, you have this story and then you just leave it be. But as I grew up and I also like writing, you kind of realize that sometimes it's just not the right time to write the story or to pick it up and you get, you know, you start writing other things, but then something about the story tells you something at a certain point and you think now it's time to restart again. Yes, that's true. Actually, when I started it, I, I was living abroad, and when I came back, I had enormous uh, professional responsibilities and just really at that point didn't have time to <laughs> um, finish it or reflect on it. So it took some time to untangle myself from those responsibilities. And so now, 15 years later, I'm going back to it. Uh, where did you live? I'm sorry, I'm an immigrant, was, so I'm always interested in... Oh, <laughs> well, it wasn't, it, it was only one semester, but it was in Poland. Oh, in, okay. In Krakow. So I set the novel there because I thought it was such a, such an imagination-provoking city. And I went back several times later and took notes on places that I wanted to remember. And then the city started changing, and I had to remember what it had been like at the timeline that I was writing on. And... and um, had to return to some notes and journals. So that it's been quite enjoyable to reflect on my own recollections of the place because it, it is like so many cities, it has changed enormously in the last 
20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so do, do you are you planning to visit it once the book is uh, ready to publication? Oh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> about that. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I just think it would kind of, you know, um, like full circle, circle. Yeah. <laughs> A good thought. Uh, where can people find you online? The easiest thing is, is my website, which is just my name. Um, it's different from the university website. I have two. But the, my own, which is www.carolyncorsmeyer.com, is the one that I keep up to date. Mm-hmm. So that's the, probably the best place. I'm on a few blogs. Um, I did a recent one about writing historical fiction called Reading the Past. So that's one place. Those are those are some options. That is easier to to find. I don't know if you're in any socials like Instagram or Twitter, but in either oh, case, no, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so I haven't got an Instagram or Twitter account. People tell me I should. <laughs> I, I have trouble keeping up with everything, and I don't want to start something that I can't keep up with. I completely understand. Yeah. It's it's very time consuming to be honest. Yeah. It's <laughs> and time I know. consuming and sometimes anxiety producing when you don't yes. keep up with it. Yes. So I, I try to control that. The fear of missing out as well. Even though there are a lot of authors that are being kind of pressed uh, to to start because they can do their own uh, marketing. But uh, yes. yeah. This is something also that seems to be newly a new pressure. I, I, I realized when Charlotte's story was beginning to come out that with fiction writing, a lot of the job of marketing falls on the uh, the author. Yeah. And I've certainly done what I can, including this podcast, <laughs> uh, with the help of a publicist. But it's also becoming more true in academic writing as well, that an awful lot is being shifted onto the author. And it's... It's a little daunting. Yeah, no, definitely. It's kind of fun once it gets going, but it's easy to sit and stare at your computer and have an anxiety attack and all the things that other people are doing that you didn't think about. Yeah, no, definitely. And and the fear of missing out. And also, like, it's already so much responsibility and work to write the book itself and then having to worry about the marketing and thinking <laughs> that maybe it's something you're not doing correctly when you're not a marketeer. <laughs> you're right no that's right so I think so much of success I think is also dumb luck you never know what you do is going to really work for sure yeah I I mean of course there are maybe some things that do work but yeah popularity is is very random sometimes just pure luck for sure yes so but we have this website so people can also find your book um, online so if they they search for charlotte's story uh, and i am going to leave the link on the show's notes so it's easier to find as well um, Thank you. you mean the link to the book or the link to the website or both to the website because on the website they great. can find the the book i'm so, guessing so the website for you mean my website yes Yes, that's good, because all those links are also embedded in my website. Yeah, so it is just one one specific place where uh, where everything is there. So That's excellent. Um, now, this is the last question of uh, the podcast, and I would like to know uh, of an all-time favorite book and a book you would recommend right now. I'm going to have to answer with more than one answer. That is okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, a great, I'm a great lover of certain of the classics, not only Jane Austen. But I would say my all-time favorite older book 
written in English would be a contest between two very different stories, George Eliot's Middlemarch, which I love, and Herman Melville's Moby Dick, which mm -hmm. I also love. And as it happens, following up on our previous comment, Moby Dick was a great failure when it first came out. And yes. Melville had to publish it at his own expense. Now, of course, it's considered one of the great novels of the English language. I think it's fabulous. It's a bit of a slog, but once you get into it, it's wonderful. Now, for contemporary, for contemporary readers, I mean, for contemporary writers, there are so many, and I'm sure there are many I should mention that I haven't read yet, but if you're familiar with Hilary Mantel's Cromwell trilogy. No, I have um, not. Uh, I mean, I know the book, but I haven't read it. It's a bit daunting, it's quite big. <laughs> well, there, there are three of them. They're all yeah. daunting. They're, yeah. they're difficult reads. Once you get into them, I think they're just fabulous. Mm -hmm. So I recommend those if you have a lot of time, because it's not the kind of writing, reading that you can pick up and read a few pages and then go to sleep, because they're, they're demanding. In the nonfiction category, I'm a big fan of some of the work of Helen MacDonald. She's a yes. poet who also writes um, often in the history of science or, or in natural, natural science. And her memoir, H is for Hawk, is one of my favorites. It's a memoir about the year or so that she spent recovering from the loss of her father, during which time she decided to train a goshawk. I'd never heard of a goshawk before reading her book. It's a very difficult bird to train for hunting, kind of mm -hmm. medieval kind of falconry she was involved with. It's a wonderful book. And for fun, I have another recommendation. If you like to read mystery novels, as many people do, I'm a big fan of an author who's relatively new on the mystery scene. His name is Richard Osman and his book, The Thursday Murder Club, I think is quite delightful. So I'd recognize, I would recommend those things too. It's very curious because um, Helen McDonald, she also has now a new book that I forgot to name, but it also goes around creatures, especially birds. Vesper Flights. Vesper Flights, exactly yes. that, exactly that one. And, and it is so curious how she picks up, for me, it's always amazing that she picks up, um, for example, in Ages for a Hawk, she picks up the grief that she felt about yes. her father's loss. And yes. their, the, the love that they both had for hawks. Yes. And, and then you go in and you think this is just a memoir, but, but it's not. It's actually a catalog about the hawks and about her love for biology and for that creature. Yes. And, and it's really curious how she manages to, to do that. And, and in a certain way, her writing also reminds me a bit of um, a, a braiding sweetgrass. And it, uh, the, the author is uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. And she's an indigenous woman who is also a scientist. And for yes. some reason, I don't know exactly how or why, but it is nonfiction, but it almost reads like poetry. That's interesting. A friend of mine just recommended I read the book. She loved it also. I it's one of my it, favorites. I certainly will. Yeah, it's one because because it's like you learn so much and you learn so much also about gratitude that it's it's really amazing. But also, again, it's it's they manage both of them. I think they manage to write nonfiction as if it was poetry, which is so weird because, yes. you know, it's not there's nothing. There's no poetic words in that. But the way they write is just super beautiful. Oh, I, th I appreciate your recommendation to me because I have been meaning to read 
braiding sweetgrass, and now I have an extra incentive. Yeah, if if you like audiobooks, I don't know if you do or not, but I would definitely recommend the audiobook read by her, by the author, because it's it just I don't know. I remember I've told this story before: cycling through rain, coming to coming home, and it's it's almost like like I said, the way that she talks about gratitude. You're just grateful to be there and to be experiencing that. And I really love the way she tells the the whole story on audiobook. <laughs> oh, thank you. But uh, also thank you for the recommendations. And yeah, Richard Osmond is also very recommended for people who like a mystery that's also fun. That they can just have a laugh at it and, and have fun. He's one of those authors who manages to be funny and poignant and serious and insightful all at the same time. Which is it's curious. Because it's like his TV persona, what I've seen of him, kind of feels very serious. So you uh -huh. wouldn't imagine him to write like a fun murder mystery. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know his TV persona until I read yeah. about him when I read yeah. the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for the recommendations. Uh, I'll definitely also put them on the, um, on the show's notes. And yeah, and I, I hope people pick up uh, your book. It's definitely a, a retelling that's worth uh, reading. And like I said, because there isn't also too, so many books about Charlotte. And I think she's, she can be a very interesting uh, character. I hope, I, I hope you think so. And I hope others do too. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming to the podcast. My pleasure. You can access today's show's notes via my pod page, which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash Karina Pereira. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting A Story of Sorts on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content, such as early access to episodes, a shout-out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash a story of sorts. Leaving a review would also be highly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification when the next episode hits. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening.